Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. Real quick, I want to mention SobertownPodcast.com. We have tons of resources there to help you fight cravings, build mindsets. It's a place where you can become the architect of your own recovery. Also, we have a list of sober communities you can get involved with. Sober communities are just vital to our recovery, finding like-minded people that we can relate with. There's I Am Sober, Boom Rethink the Drink, Addicted in Film Movie Club with Ted Perkins, The Phoenix, Getting Sober dot, dot, dot again, This Naked Mind, Silvertown Facebook Group, all of these are amazing communities with amazing silver warriors on a journey trying to get sober just like you and I. This evening, we have an amazing lady. Her name is Kaisa, and my wife introduced me to her recently from another sober group. And Kaisa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hi, y'all. My name's Kaisa. I am an alcoholic and an addict, and my sobriety date is 12-9-19, and for that, I am truly grateful. And quickly, the Sober Revolution page is one of the pages that I admin on, and there's also Kaisa's Texas, Kaisa's Sober Bus, Texas, and the, the lady Sober Bus. Anyway, so shout out to those people. So you got sober and now you're just kicking ass in sobriety and you're admin in three different Facebook groups, right? Yes. Recovery group. Yes. And this first one is Sober Revolution and you're there with Brett, Brett Grau, who's an author. Yeah. He's an author. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's an amazing guy. Yeah. I like the way he thinks. Yeah. He, he's good. And he's everybody's got to get his, his book which is Ripped Sober. And it's on Audible, too, and I was just listening to it today. It's badass. And then the other two, like, your sober buses, they're, like, yeah. international. Yeah, we have a group in the uh, U.K., and then we have, like, 12 buses here in the States, and New York, Connecticut, Austin, Houston, which I'm the ambassador of the Houston bus, and Florida, various cities. Anybody's interested? They're looking for ambassadors. Shameless and, plug. And then you have the women. The women uh, women help women. Yes. And men help men. Right. And men, I don't think we understand y'all too well. So it's best we let you help yourselves. <laughs> I don't know if I should get that out or what. So you're going to have a sober meetup soon too. Uh, yes, we're I'm going to Connecticut to meet up with the sober bus people. And I'm super excited because I, I only met them online when we, we text each other back and forth or we've had conversations uh, via Zoom meetings and stuff. But yeah, she's having a, a deal. It's a sober stand-up comedy deal. So some guy's coming in and make me laugh. He better make me laugh. Just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I get to meet these people and I'm super excited. Man, sobriety rocks. It's cool. Yeah, it does. Yeah, speaking of rocks, you're always going to rock concerts. Oh, yeah, that's my thing. You know, before I got sober, 
I thought, well, what, who am I going to be? I could never get sober. I mean, I can't have any fun with them without a drink in my hand or a drug or whatever. It's absolutely the opposite. I have more fun now because I'm completely present. And I, you know, it, it's just amazing. I love it. I don't fall over on top of random strangers. <laughs> right. You're going to share your recovery story with us. And then I'm just going to hit mute and kind of step back. Okay. All righty. Once again, I'm Kaisa. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And my name is Kaisa. And it's Swedish. My mother is from Sweden. And she came over to the United States a day before she turned 19. She married my dad. My dad is, he's a black man. And um, they were married for about three years. And then they had my brother and myself. Soon got divorced. And my dad met another woman, my step monster. We moved to Washington, D.C. for a little while, where this woman proceeded to treat me horribly. Now, she never physically abused me, but verbally she abused me. And she did try to force feed me broccoli. And that didn't turn out to be so good for her later once I got it down because it came right back up. So then shortly after that, my mom, she had met this man, Dr. Richard Grishy, who became my stepfather later. Um, but they came and got me and my brother and we moved to Boston. So we're living in Boston. My mom hardly has any money and my dad is not going to send any child support because he thinks that, oh, well, I just won't send her any money. She'll send the kids back. Well, that didn't work, but my mom told me a story how we had to eat duck eggs because they were, they were cheaper than regular eggs and they were bigger and she could feed us and that we would go to the, like the delicatessen part of the, the supermarket and, and they would like have like meat scraps and we would eat that because my dad wouldn't give us any money. I didn't know this till way later on in life. Okay, so now I'm with Bo in Boston with my brother, my mom, and my stepdad. Then my, my stepdad, he uh, had a PhD in mathematics, so we ended up moving to Manhattan, Kansas, where Kansas State University is. And he was a professor there. And he's Italian. He really was. God rest his soul. So he, Italians let you drink. They don't. It's not a thing for them, apparently. So... I remember having a few sips of wine here and there at dinner, <clears throat> but never, I, I, I don't ever remember having any kind of feeling about it. It was just, I was like, oh, that tastes gross. A little sip. Okay. And there I took it, whatever. On my 10th birthday, my mom and stepdad were having a party and I was also having a slumber party. My little friends were over and I remember they, my mom comes in and she said, Hey, do you want to smoke the peace pipe? I said, okay, <laughs> sure. Whatever. So here I'm 10 years old and I go out and all my little friends stayed in the room and I went out in the living room and they had this big old pipe and I smoked some of it. And I don't remember, I don't remember getting high. I don't remember it affecting me any way, shape or form. So then, okay, so cut to 14 and I got a lot of shit where I grew up as a small town um, for being half black and half white because you're not black enough for some people and you're just not white enough for others. And so the people that did accept me were the ones that drank and, and did drugs and, and were wild. And I liked that. I was 
I, that was my thing. Go do wild shit, like siphon gas out of a tractor and then put it in my friend's mom's car and go joyriding. Anyway, so I remember the first time I drank with my friends. I was 14. We went to the uh, drive-in movie theater and somebody, there was like six of us packed in a car. Someone had a bottle of bourbon or something and everybody passed it around. Well, when it came my turn, I grabbed it. I turned it up and I chugged it. And I proceeded to get very sick. I threw up. My friends got in a fight because I was drunk, falling all over the place. And I remember being hungover the next day, but I could not wait to drink again. I couldn't wait. And now I had gone to live with my dad for one year in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Uh, and well, he, the step monster was there. And she, again, we started with the the horrible treatment. My brother could do no wrong. And my brother's a great guy. Don't get me wrong. I love my brother. But, you know, he could do no wrong. And basically, I was like the little whore child. And I would, I, they accused me of having sex. And I'm like, no, I didn't know anything about sex. Nor had I, I, I just couldn't even believe they would accuse me of doing something like that. Anyway, she was very verbally abusive. And you're ugly, you, your hair's ugly, you always have to wear it short, you can't wear any makeup, oh, you're, yeah, you're stupid, I mean, just, oh, just horrible shit, okay, so I'm wondering why, why didn't my dad ever step in, why didn't he ever tell her, hey, don't, don't talk to her that way, he never did anything in my book, huge resentment, so Anyway, so then after that year, I went back to Kansas and same thing over, rinse, repeat with my friends, all that stuff. Once I graduated from high school, during high school and junior high, it was just basically drinking on the weekend and drugs and all kinds. Back in the 70s, all kinds of stuff came into play. So then once I graduated high school, I went to cosmetology school. And okay, so then the party really started. And then it was like drinking throughout the week. And ladies night, one night, three for the price of one, another night, um, going out to keg parties at the lake, just frat parties, you name it. I was all over it. Then I decided I wanted to move to Texas because my mom was living down here. I'd come to visit her and it was huge. There was all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And I was like, that's my place. So I moved to Texas. And when I got here, my mom had an apartment, but at the time she was in Sweden. And so I, I stayed at that little place at her apartment and I got a job, I think working at a grocery store. And then I met some people. And then the next thing you know, I'm managing apartments. And then after a few years of that, I was couldn't stand those people because everybody's crying and whining. And I'm like, oh, God, okay. Anyway, I decided to get a, a job at a bar because there I was, party girl. Let's go have a good time all the time. And so I, I was in the bar business probably about 25 years. And there I was right next to the alcohol. I made sure everybody had a good time. And they tipped me in cocaine in my tip jar. Okay, so rinse and repeat years and years, just years of the same stuff. And it was just crazy. So I had been living here 
I'm cutting back a few years. <clears throat> in in uh, 1990, I moved here in 1980. So 1990, no, I moved here in 82, excuse me. I graduated from high school in 80. In 1990 was my 10-year high school reunion. And my brother had been telling me for a couple of years that I need to meet his friend, Kevin. Well, I remember Kevin from high school, but we were two different walks of life because I rode Harleys um, and he was like a cheerleader type dude. Um, anyway, so we met, I went home for my reunion and we met and I mean, it was just like this. I mean, it was just amazing. And so we started, we had a relationship and everything. And then we decided I would move back to Kansas and live with him. And on his way here, my brother was with him and he got into a car accident and he, he, he got killed. He actually lived after the accident and they harvested his organs because he was an organ donor. <clears throat> but at the time I had come home from work that day because they were supposed to be at my apartment at about four. They had all my stuff packed. I'm all ready to go. My job knew I was leaving and all that stuff. And we had answering machines at the time. And there was one blink on there. And I knew, I, I just looked at it. I was like, oh, shit. Something, whoa, what happened? Something horrible happened. Well, anyway, the message was from a friend of Kevin's. And he's like, Kim and Kevin have been in an accident. And they're in the hospital and all this stuff. And so I'm sitting there. And I'm like, what the hell is happening? And, and immediately I began to pray. And I said, God. You can take Kevin. I'll be okay if you take Kevin, but please don't take Akeem, my brother. Please don't take my brother. I can live without Kevin, but I, I can't live without my brother. Well, my, my prayers were answered in that fashion. But I also do have to, again, say that Kevin was an organ donor, and they used every organ and part you could, you could use. Um, and the day that he died, a very good friend of mine is a par was a paramedic. And one of the people in her squad or whatever had to fly to Wichita, Kansas, to St. Joseph's Hospital, where Kevin was, to pick up a heart for a transplant. So that's right there's interesting. All right. So anyway, so... And, and it took me a long time to get to the point where I understood that God needed Kevin more than I did. But I drank over that for many, many years because I was finally going to, oh, I, okay, maybe I will have children because I've never wanted to have children. I'm like, no, I'm not going to ruin a perfectly good human being. I got myself. I could do that too. I don't want to do that. And then when Kevin came in the picture, I was like, okay, well, maybe I could. Well, no. <laughs> not in the cards for me, but anyway, so, so then I'm going to go back to bartending, bunch of crazy stuff. Then I got a job with a marine transportation company and because I knew I had to do something different because I was getting older and, but I still kept my, 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 my bartending job. And basically I'm just going to really cut to the three years before I, but three years before I got sober. Okay. Heavy drinker, heavy partier, all kinds of crazy stuff. I never got a DWI. I don't know how. I crashed into the back of like five people in my truck. Um, they never called the law. I don't know how. Thank God I didn't hurt anybody. 
I myself wasn't hurt because I was completely inebriated, but I had to go to my general practitioner and she did my blood work and she said, I'm going to have to refer you to a liver specialist because your, 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 your numbers are very high. And she said, they're either related, it's related to pills and alcohol. I was like, okay, they got my number. So I have a very good friend. I've known her for 40 years and um, she is eight years sober. Now, all this time while I'm drinking and carrying on, I watched her get sober. I watched her go from this bitter, angry, hateful woman to this completely changed, loving person. And um, we'd had many conversations about my drinking because I was like, this can't be like normal. The way I drink, this just can't be normal. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, you've quit before for, you quit for three years before. I said, yeah, but I was doing pills the whole time. I never, I never just have done nothing. And she's like, no, I think you're just a heavy drinker. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I actually, you know, I knew inside, but that others things going, no, you're fine. You're fine. You can drink all you want. <laughs> and that's the kind of voice it had. When I started drinking every single day, there was this man in my life who was a narcissist. And that was a tough one for me to deal with that. And then all the other bullshit that had just piled up over the years that I had resentments over, I started to drink every day. Now, I'm talking about I have vodka on my nightstand. I have vodka in my truck. I have vodka in my freezer. I have wine bottles, the, the little tiny ones that are really foul, because I used to really like a nice full-bodied wine. And then I went to these little tiny things because I could, I could shove them in my bra. I could hide like four at a time in there. Um, anyway, so I, 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 been, I begin to drink every single day, okay? Um, had the conversation with my friend, all that. Then I end up going to the doctor. The doctor says, you need to go to, to a liver specialist. And I'm thinking I'm probably in pretty, a, a, a big pile of shit here. I go to the doctor. He looks at me and he's like, honey, you're going to, you need to stop drinking because if you don't, you will die. And I said, well, okay. And I'm thinking, Hurry up. Quit talking because it's been 40 minutes, 45 minutes since I had my last drink. And I got to go get it. I got to go refill myself. And so, um, matter of fact, that night, it was my friend's nephew's birthday. So I told her, because here I am, full of bullshit. I'm going to quit drinking tomorrow, but I want to drink tonight at Will's party. So, and she, just because I didn't want her to say anything to me. And so she, she didn't say anything, but went to the party, whatever, drank, drank, drank. I go home, I'm still drinking. Okay. So then that following week, I, 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 I think I went to work for a week and then the next week I felt really bad. I mean, I, I, I was like, man, I feel like I'm going to die. So I laid in bed. And I thought, well, I, I have to drink because I was to the point where I'm doing this. So I go to the corner store, I get a bunch of booze and I come back and I get a can of tomato or chicken soup because that's going to help me. 
and I continued to drink. I lay in bed for a week drinking and I didn't go to work. And the following week, my coworker comes and gets me. She, well, she comes over and she takes a, one look at me and she said, get your rest. I'm taking you to the emergency room. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, well, let me get my bag. So I'm like, putting shoving everything in the bag. All right, let's go. I get to the emergency room. They take one look at me and they say, we're putting you in the hospital. And I'm like, what? And they said, well, you're jaundice. And I said, well, no, I'm not. She said, yes, you're jaundice. Your eyes are yellow. I'm like, I know what jaundice means. Anyway, they said, okay, go pee in this cup. So I pee in a cup and it is brown, 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 brown. And then he says, see this? He says, you're in some serious trouble and you need to be hospitalized. It's like, fuck, okay. And so they said, well, here, we'll take you in the ambulance. I'm like, oh, I don't want to pay for an ambulance ride. My friend will take me. And they're like, no, e either you get in the ambulance. If you refuse to get in the ambulance, we will call the police and have them put you in there. I'm not, or, and escort you. I was like, God, don't do that. Just also because my brother is a police officer, not here in Kansas, but you know, I'm like, okay, I respect police officers. I don't, and I don't, I don't want my brother finding out that I refused to go to the hospital and the police had to come. That would just be like shame on me. Anyway, so I get in the ambulance to take me to the hospital. They proceed to rehydrate me and it took me five days to be rehydrated. Now, mind you, I've got stuff to drink. So while I'm sitting there walking around my hotel, my hotel room, yeah, my hospital room, and with the, the banana bag thingy on the, the rolly thing, I'm drinking. I'm just drinking. I'm drinking away. I'm drinking. So after like the fifth day, I, I think after the third day, I ran out of alcohol. And I didn't have, I couldn't sleep, but I didn't have any withdrawals, which was very weird. But I, my, my hands peeled, the palms of my hands peeled. And then my friend came and got me, the one who's an AA, we'll call her G. G came and got me, took me to my truck. First thing I do is go to the corner store, get some more booze. And I, I drank. I ended up going to work that Monday. I felt better from being rehydrated. That Wednesday, I had to go back to my liver specialist. And when I walked in, I mean, he's just, he, he's just shaking his head. He's like, you're going to die. You are going to die. You've got to stop drinking. And he's a huge proponent for AA. And he was telling me this lovely story about one of his patients that followed the eagles around. And when the guy got 10 years, he gave my doctor his 10-year chip. My doctor kept it in his pocket. And, and so I'm like, well, I can't, I, you know, I have to work, I have to do this, I have to do that. And, and my friend, she's like, tell her, tell her what's going to happen to her. Tell her when she's going to die. And I'm like, oh my God, where, who's this person over here talking to me like that? Cause she wasn't consigned to my bullshit anymore. And so he's like, well, I can't tell you when you're going to die, but I guarantee you it's going to be a very slow and painful death. And, and so they're both working on me and I'm coming up with all these stupid excuses why I couldn't work. My friend, she's shooting them down, shooting them, bam, bam, bam. 
And at the time I was like, okay, I'm really fucking mad at you for doing this to me. But you know, it's absolutely what I needed to hear. I needed somebody to make me see the light that, that I'm, I am going to die if I don't stop. So we finally, finally I throw out all these stupid excuses that held no water. They all got shot down. I'm okay. I'm defeated. I'm defeated. I'm defeated here. We decided that I would go to rehab because I didn't think that I could just go after work and go sit in an AA meeting and suck on a piece of candy. I had to, everything around me had to just freaking go away, just stop. And so the doctor gave me an excuse for work. And I was so worried about work, but how, what, what kind of job was I doing? I was drunk the whole time I was at work. And they all knew it. And I didn't think they knew it, but things we tell ourselves. Um, so I, I, I remember seeing my, my boss walking up the stairs and, I, and it was like something just pushed me out of my chair. And I stumbled up there and I'm like, hey, Jennifer, I'm, I'm going to rehab. And I was expecting her to say, what? Ah. And she said, oh, good for you. That's great, guys. I'm so happy to hear it. And I was like, what the fuck? Anyway, so, so then, so the Saturday came, my friend G gave me the number of a sobriety coach. I talked to this woman for about two hours and then I got the names of some rehabs and I went, I, I started calling him. One place said, oh, you can come to Baltimore uh, if you have $1,700. And I said, I have negative 200. I'm not, I'm going to get sober, but I'm not going to go to Baltimore to do it. And Several places had answering machines. Ah, see, there I go. Answering machine, answering service or voicemail. There you go. <laughs> Let me catch up with the times here. Voicemail. And they're like, just leave a message. I'm like, well, okay, I'm kind of on the ledge. Let me just keep calling. So I found this place called The Right Step. And that's here in Houston. And I called. And see, one reason why I didn't go to rehab earlier is because I wouldn't be an honest and because I thought I didn't have the money to pay for it because I knew it was expensive. So I get this lady on the phone and she's immediately, she's typing. I can hear those fingers just going on those keys. And I told her about my hospital stay, which was $35,000. Yep. And she's like, oh, well, guess what? I mean, it was like about 30 seconds later. She's like, your rehab will be paid for 100% by your insurance. And I was like, okay, now there is a God. There, something's going on that is way beyond anything I'm all about. So, so I talk, I, the lady and I talked, I said, what do I need to do? What do I need to take? She said, well, take this, that, and the other. So I got all my shit ready, but you see, I still had alcohol in my house. So I wanted to make sure I got it. I wasn't going to leave and then come back and have it in my house. And I wasn't going to pour it down the sink. So I had to finish it. So. That Sunday, it was December 8th at 8 o'clock. And I sat there on the side of my bed and I looked at the clock. And I had that, I had one little bottle of wine left because I'd, I'd gotten, I'd, I drank everything else. And I looked at that bottle and I said, This is it. I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore because I can't live like this. And there's got to be a better way. So, I drank that, I drank that, and that's the last time I drank alcohol. And the next morning I woke up and I remember looking out the, looking out the blinds at the pool, because the pool's right there in my, right by my 
window and it was green because I've been doing such a bang up job taking care of things. And and for a split second, I thought, oh shit, no, I, I can't go. I, I got I to gotta clean this pool. And then something came over me and said, fuck that pool. Go do you. Get out of here. Get your bag and leave. So I was like, get my purse, get in my bag. I, I go out the door. I'm opening the back door of my truck to throw my, my bag in. And my mom, who lives with me, she's 83 now, she opens the door and she's like, I don't think you have a problem. And I thought, holy fuck, can this woman actually be saying this to me right now? And I, the fact that I didn't verbal vomit on her and chew her head off right there is amazing. I just said, I will see you in 30 days. I got in my truck. I drove to rehab, and on the way there, that song Rearview Mirror by Pearl Jam came on. And I was like, oh, my God. And I just, like, I clenched the steering wheel, and I just drove, like, with this desperation that I have never known before. Like, it's a rehab, and I'm like, okay, look, what I got to do is, since I'm an asshole, I'm going to just shut up. I'm just going to, I don't care. If you tell me to go stand on my head in the corner in the goat field, I'm going to go do that if that's going to get me sober. I really had no idea I w would have to work at it every day. So I get to rehab, and I just kept my mouth shut, and I just did everything they told me to do because I was so be beaten and so just... I just wanted to, I just wanted to do something different and I didn't want to feel like that anymore. So, so while I'm in rehab, they give you assignments and stuff and you do this positive recovery stuff and so on. And they kept talking about going to AA and work, get sponsored and work in the steps. And then different groups would come in and, and do meetings there. And so my counselor and I were talking and I was like, well, he said, I'm going to give you a list. I'm going to give you a list of AA groups. I go, okay, well, I don't, don't make it in Katie. Okay, Katie's a long way away. I go, make it very, very close to my house. Find the ones that are closest to my house because I can't, the less uh, distraction for me, the better. So, so the day I got out of rehab, I went to my home group, which is still my home group, which is about three miles away. I love it. And I walked in there. Didn't know what to expect. I was hoping they wouldn't pay any attention to me, but they did. They sure as hell did. And I, I got a sponsor and I worked the steps and we worked, we, we went through them pretty quickly. Now I was about four months sober and it was like right after, I think I had just finished my fifth step. So the fourth step is you do all your resentments. My dad was on there a whole bunch, but then I, I realized that I most of a lot of my drinking and doing drugs, I'm like drinking at these people for what they did to me or what I thought because I was a victim and all this other shit. And so everybody treated me like shit. Well, you know what? I had to see my part in it with my dad. I'm not really sure I had a part in it, but it is what it is. But so I go every morning, I go to the Circle K and I get my, my coffee. And uh, I stepped out of my truck, and right between my feet was a bag of cocaine. And I said, hmm. and I just, I picked it up, and I threw it into the trash. Well, all of a sudden, I see it going like this. Slow motion. 
going into the trail and I'm like, oh my God, what just happened? And I I had to call my sponsor and I'm like, you're not going to believe this shit. I said, I just picked up a bag of Coke and threw it in the trash can. And I said, oh my God. And then, but I did, I, I immediately knew that the obsession had been lifted. And all the stuff she told me about spiritual experiences and all this other stuff, which I did not understand, I started to understand. And so, God, we worked, you know, we worked the steps uh, pretty, pretty quickly. But just the event about right after that, the lockdown came and there was no in-person meetings. And so Zoom came and I, I, I really didn't like Zoom because I couldn't see people's body language i couldn't really read them but i mean it didn't take me long to to fall in love with the zoom and and that's pretty much how i stayed sober through those months before our home group reopened um and i i had a sponsee that we zoomed we worked the steps via zoom the whole time and that really worked so today I am so grateful that I'm grateful I'm an alcoholic because and an addict because I know so I know such a different life now and it's not about just killing myself which I was on the fast track to be in there but there's I there was a if you can see this yeah that's a bruise that was on my stomach when I was in the hospital okay I was doing real well. And I'm like, well, I didn't fall. What happened? Okay. Well, when you drink too much alcohol, those vessels are at the surface of your skin. Anyway, and also five days before I went to rehab, when I, when my liver doctor did my blood work, the top of the GGT liver function chart is 4,000. Five days before I went to rehab, my number was 3,623. So had I not quit drinking, I would have been dead. A month, I think, would have been a long time if I'd have lived a month because my numbers were that high. And so today, and I'm still under the care of my liver specialist, today my number is 11. Boom. That is Boom. fantastic. Yeah. And, and also, once I got sober and, and I, you know, things started to kind of clear up in my head, I thought, well, because I was overweight. And I was like, I, I hate this part. Well, why don't you, shit, you got sober, you're doing this, incorporate this with your sobriety. So um, I changed my eating habits. I started walking and I lost 110 pounds. Holy cow. Congratulations. Thank double you. boom, double your doctor, your liver doctor. What's he saying? Oh, well, I'll tell you what. I make a grown man cry. He looks at me and he, he, he I, I've, he's cried when he looks at me. I'm like his poster child. He's just, he's amazed. He's just amazed when he sees me. And I mean, cause he just like, I remember the look on his face when he's just shaking his head going, you're going to die. But even though I ha here, here's this man who is like the head of hepatology and the top liver transplant specialist in Houston. And he's telling me I'm going to die if I don't quit drinking and I'm 
and I, I, I continued for a month. But yeah, he's a wonderful man. And like I said, I, I'm still under his care. And I thought really, I really thought once I got out of rehab that he would, it'd be like a churn and burn. Not at all. And he just did a, they did an ultrasound on my liver and the vessels and everything. And he said, it's remarkable how, how good things look in there. Considering 43 years, I, I drank and did drugs. And I wasn't, I only drank to get drunk. That was my goal. So, so it's pretty amazing. The evolution of your recovery. And I haven't known you that long. It looks amazing. And now you're admin in three different Facebook groups and you're just like all in and you share daily. What, what are those, the daily readings with people and. Yeah, the daily reflection. Reflection, uh, yeah. Alcoholics Anonymous, because I, I, I'm a 12-stepper for life. So that the evolution of your recovery, in the beginning, you were, you were saying like, well, what am I going to do if I don't drink? And yeah. You thought it was like a death sentence, and look how much life you have. Oh, yeah, I, I had no idea. It, it, if I knew then what I know now, which is certainly not possible, I mean, I would have stopped drinking a long time ago, but, you know, things happen for a reason, I believe, and I, I it certainly has been a huge learning experience. And to, to actually love myself now, it's amazing because I never loved myself before. I just, how fucked up can I get? How many, what can I mix together to get the, it was just a free for all. And I just didn't care. All I cared about was just having an altered state of mind so what's like what like work what's work like mm. all right so december 11th i'll have been at that job 20 years oh the same Boom. job yep same job oh that is so cool yeah the lady i had a three-year conversation with at the bar yeah 20 years and yeah they stuck by me they stuck by me Really, I mean, they they watched me go down the rabbit hole and they watched me come back up. But they did they did stick by me even when other people were saying you should fire her because she's worthless. She's a piece of shit. And my boss was like, "Nope, she's loyal. I I I will never fire her." Yeah, so I work for a marine transportation company and I import and export parts for ships. It's a joy. <laughs> it's kind of crazy sometimes, but. Well, I love that. I used to be a merchant marine, so. Oh, I, yes, that's right. I know a little bit about ships. Yeah. So then, how did you get into all of the recovery? Well, of course, I had my home group, and then I just started messing around on, on social media. I mean, now I've had my Facebook since like 2008, okay? So that was before. But then I got on Instagram. And after I got sober and on Instagram, there were like all these sober people and I would see, see some of them come up and I changed my little bio thing to darkness to light or something and butterfly and purple heart and, and, and then just, then like people, I started coming across different people. And then that's how I met the, the sober bus people. I met them on Instagram and then I did an Instagram live with them. And then on that show, they asked me if I'd be their ambassador for the, for the Texas bus. And then I like, I was on Facebook and I found 
October Revolution with Brett and I joined and we chatted a little bit and then he did a little, little, whatever you call it, presentation of me, a nice little write-up of me. And then after, I don't know, a few months, he asked me if I wanted to be his partner and I was like, be, <laughs> but okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was all for it and didn't really know what the hell I was doing. I'm just like, well, okay, this, this is what I think. And just put it out there. My higher power speaks to me. I'm like, okay, this is coming from my higher power, y'all. <laughs> so then but, your, your work is doing great. You're thriving in, with your sober communities and you love going to concerts. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite things. And I love to do it before I got sober, but I really like it now. I love it now because I'm present. I don't fall on drunk, hairy men. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I, it's just, it just feels really good to be able to experience the whole thing without an altered state of mind. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. And I, and because I don't spend all my money on drugs and alcohol, I actually have money to go to all these shows I want to go to and do other things. I could go up to Connecticut. And then in, in September, I'm going to New Orleans to meet Brett because I haven't met Brett in person. Yeah. He said, I was listening to his book. He's from New Orleans. And I'm like, he doesn't even sound coon ass because you got the coon asses down there from New Orleans. I used right, to work with those does. guys. When he's talking to his wife, you could hear it. Yeah, he's, he says she's got more of an accent than she does. And see, well, my boss, she's from New Orleans. So that whole side of the family is from New Orleans. And when they get together, I'm like, oh, my God. But, yeah, his wife sounds exactly like my boss's relatives. Yeah, they get out the boy and they, they look for that get out. They're out there looking at you, that get out. They're so funny. So yeah, you're just thriving in your sobriety. What would you say to the person just getting sober? I would say, keep coming back. Don't quit before the miracle happens. Even if it feels like shit, walk through it. Reach out to your sponsor, your friends, your fellows. Reach out. People have been through that same thing and maybe it's not exactly the same but they know exactly what you're talking about and 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 walk through it because you're going to get to the other side and then you're going to see that you made it through it did not kill you and for me when I do this I am so grateful I just the, the things I I experience by walking through the hard stuff it's just amazing. And and it just, things that used to be hard before, if I tried to walk through it, the, the feeling is completely different now because it's a learning process for me and everybody. I, I, I learn, I learned so much. When my stepdad died last year and I was, I was, I was, I was really sad, but I was so grateful that that man came into my life and my mom and my brother's life. And he, he was, he was, he was a good man. He raised us. He took us in as his own. And see, there was my father figure because my dad couldn't be in my life that way. 
And I think it's just because that's the way my, I, I don't know. My brother was great for my dad. Maybe it's a son, child, whatever. I don't know. Or the male child. But when my stepdad died, I just felt this immense sense of gratitude for having my higher power put that man in my life to give me what I needed that I didn't get from my dad. And that's amazing. And and new newcomers, absolutely, just don't quit before the miracle happens. Reach out. Boom. I love that. Don't quit before the miracle happens. I love using that too. Yeah. And then, so do you guys do Zoom? You have Zooms with your Facebook groups too? Yeah, we do. Let's see, Brett and I did. Well, Brett interviewed me and then we interviewed another guy. We we want to do that. We just need to get some people to step up and, and we haven't really pushed it, but I know I know that's what he wants to do. And yes, on the sober bus, we we do Zoom meetings. Uh, they'll do live they'll do coast to coast live on Instagram, Dave in New York and Richard, California. And then but we do do Zooms. So that's the sober revolution. And and then and the sober bus tribe. Sober bus tribe, and then the ladies sober bus tribe. Yes, and the ladies sober bus. So there you go, you guys. And then you can get over there and meet Kaisa with the silent J. <laughs> yeah, right. Kaisa, it's my wife saw you and she's like, you got to meet this lady. She's just so cool. And I finally had an opportunity to meet. And you are. You're just full of life. And it's it's amazing. So well, thank you. It was really wonderful. Meeting you and talking, seeing Jamie over there in yeah. an interview that was nice. I hope it's a good interview. Well, it's amazing. And I mean, when we look at your story, you're in the hospital where you snuck your own booze into mm-hmm. dying of liver, liver disease. Yeah. And, and there you are. And you're still friggin' drinking. That's, that's how our, how this consumes us. When I think about it, and I, I remember telling my story at my home group. And I remember because I, here I am with a whole group of people and I can see their body language. And they're, it's a room full of alcoholics. They're all shaking their head like, you're crazy. <laughs> it's just amazing where this takes us. So, and I'm it very really grateful is. that you survived it. You're, you're pushing through and now you're bringing, you're reaching back and helping people out of the trenches. It's badass. Yeah, I love it to 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 love and and not get love back, which I mean, I get love back, but to not expect anything in return. It's fucking awesome. Oh, because I was always like, why didn't I? I No, just calm down. Getting rid of the ego. There you go, newcomer. Get rid of that ego. For me, it restores my soul. There's yeah, just been absolutely. So much- yeah, absolutely. And we talked about the music thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kaisa, thank you so much for coming here on Sobertown. Thank you. What am I going to call you? D, Dan, Don? Well, most people just in the sober communities call me Drifter. So, okay. And yeah, you can call some. A guy called me Ray one time for six months. <laughs> I won't call you Ray. <laughs> okay. Dan Drifter, but I most people call me Drifter in the sober world. So even my wife's starting to call me Drifter. So I guess I got me a handle now. Yeah, I was gonna call you D. 
but you know, I got the name from White Snake. Here I go again, right? Here I go again on my own. Yep, I used to love that song. Yeah, and that well, that used to be my theme song back in my drinking days and all of that because As I see. So it it really fit. Kaisa, thank you. You're just you're a doll. Yeah, I can't please. wait to get with you and, and your sober communities. And we want to bring sober communities together. Absolutely. Like sober Woodstock. Boom. Boom. Let's do this thing. Let's do it. Right. A million sober people in one place. That would be just so cool. Sharing, how do you guys say it in the AA circles? Experience, strength, strength and hope. Yeah. 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 You think I would know that? I've been trying to get sober over 40 years. You think I'd know? We've not for everybody. And and we we support every form of sobriety, recovery, whatever, because AA is not for every single well, person. Look, I've been to thousands. I used to go from from my jail cell to AA meetings just to get out of my jail cell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So I've been and not only I've been through three inpatient. It's the steps was all that I've really known, but I just never really could like I never connected with them. So, but now check this out. When I look back now that I'm sober three years and I'm looking back, I can see these steps organically appearing behind me. They're there, even though I'm not working them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. They're there. I see them I as clear as day. So it's really cool. How powerful they are. They do work. They do. They really do. As long as you're willing, that mustard seed of willingness, and you're honest and thorough. Because you know what? Real quick, when I did my four step, and she's like, okay, well, I put your resentments down. And when I'm like, oh, I really have many resentments. I don't think. And shit. Tell you what, I started writing, and there was something else. There was something else pushing my hand. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah and yeah i it was i wrote one of those small spiral notebooks that was my fucking four step took me a month and a half to do it but i'll tell you what it was so freeing it was it's amazing and that's before i even admitted to god and another human being the exact nature of my wrongs but yeah it's good stuff so cool thank you very much thank you have a good evening be safe